0: this is Boss Ladies. I am here with Megan Cross. She is the partner at Amplify Her. So I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Hey, Olivia, thank you so much for having me. Of
0: course. So to start today, can you start by just, you know, telling us a little bit about yourself and sort of your career journey that, that led to your current role um, as partner of Amplify Her Adventures?
1: Sure thing. So I'm a partner at Amplifier Ventures. We invest in high-growth early-stage companies led by women and diverse leadership teams who are pioneering new market efficiencies. And to give you some context, when my business partner, Trisha Black, approached me with the idea for Amplifier, we sat down and we couldn't get over that 2% of all venture capital goes to women founders. And that number goes down to less than 1% for women of color. And yet, seed investors and companies early investors in companies that have at least one woman founder garner 63% greater return on investment. So we launched Amplify Her with the belief that we can generate alpha with this gender lens in mind. With this gender lens, as well as our startup backgrounds. So Trisha was the seventh employee at Facebook and first head of sales. And I also come from the startup world. Um, I handled the early PR and marketing for a number of New York venture darlings, like Foursquare, Skype, Stylecaster back in the day. And while in the startup world, I noticed how investors had this ability to parachute into conversations, into inflection points and obstacles in the business, and offer their insights based on what they're seeing across their portfolio of other investments. I I really admired that pattern recognition. And I wanted to garner that ability to make an impact on high growth businesses at scale. So I hustled my way through business school. I worked part-time for a few VC firms to get more exposure. And I was ultimately approached by a group of Cornell Board of Trustees with the opportunity to start Cornell's alumni investment firm, Red Bear Angels. And that really kicked off my investment career. Go Big Red. (laughs) Yeah, go Big Red, right? Um, (laughs) And after getting the firm officially up and running and leading about 25 investments, I took a step. Back to an advisor role to launch Amplify Her Ventures with Trisha, And three years later, here we are, we've made 40 investments, almost 40 investments across the portfolio into a group of phenomenal women. And I would be pumped to tell you more
0: about it. Yeah, I absolutely love this. And I love your mission and could not be more excited to be talking to you about this. You actually just quoted these numbers now, but I'm just going to say them again. On your, your website, I saw It says 15% of VC dollars go to gender mixed teams, even though those teams outperform all male founding teams by 63%. So with that in mind, and when we have data like this, why do you think we're still seeing across the industry more investment in male driven companies?
1: There's a few ways you can chip away at that question. There are a variety of theories on gender parity in venture or, or lack thereof. One take is that you have to look at the source of where the capital is coming. So venture capital is a networks-driven business, meaning to say, for us, though the highest quality of deal flow comes from a personal network of fellow startup operators, the highest quantity of deal flow comes from Mm -hmm. other investors. It's quite common for VCs actually to share deals with folks who are within arm's length reach. So if you compare that with the stats of who's investing, 93% of venture capital dollars are allocated by men. 93 percent. Interesting. Yeah. So meaning to say partners in decision-making roles at VC firms are are predominantly male. And when you look at the dollar amount, most women in decision-making roles at VC firms are actually starting their own. They're what's referred to as emerging managers or funds that are in their first or second cycle. They tend to be sub $50 million in size, which is relatively small for a venture capital firm, an institutional venture capital firm, And if you think of where venture capital comes from, it's the limited partners. So the endowments, pension funds, fund-to-funds, even family offices who invest in those VC firms as an alternative asset class. So some suggest that we'll see more diversity in VC-backed companies as those limited partners or LPs further their own ability to ultimately back more diverse VCs and so forth. So the stats did improve in 2019, but 2020 was still pretty bleak. And I think that the good news is that women-led companies do generate 10% greater profits for their investors and exit one year sooner. So it is a profit-driven motivation to have more diversity and gender diversity in all sorts of in your portfolio. So there is a case that is continuously being made upwards to. VC firms and to their limited
0: partners, their investors. That is so interesting. So it sounds like it's sort of a cycle where if we don't yes, just totally. start, yeah, adding more diversity, you know, behind where the dollars are coming from, then it's not going to trickle into where the dollars are going. That makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I'm interested to hear a little bit about what it's like when you take gender fully off the equation because you know you're looking at female-driven companies, right? So at Amplifier Ventures, you're not even thinking male, female, anything like that. What is that like for you when you're starting to think about where you want to invest those dollars, given that that's not even a focus because that's the focus, if that makes sense. <laughs> right, it's, like, it's
1: the parameter. Our investment thesis beyond that is that we look for, we quite literally invest in Amplifiers. We invest in founders who have a unique ability to create viral, viral growth and pioneer new market behavior. Um, And we know who those amplifiers are because we've been them. We've been in marketing roles and sales roles at some of the fastest growing companies in, um, in recent years. And we meet with founders who appreciate that ability to create a playbook for generating viral growth. And that's across all sectors. So we tend to focus mostly on three areas, commerce, care, and connectivity. So new brands that are like data driven and redefining their categories in commerce new healthcare efficiencies and transparencies in care and then finally in connectivity new ways of sharing information beyond the historic media industry and across those three categories we've found that those teams that can go to market in uniquely clever ways leverage community driven tactics in order to scale their acquisition costs are those who tend to generate the results we like to see. To put it another way, particularly for our consumer facing investments, it's been said that 40 cents on every venture capital dollar goes directly back to Facebook and Google. I think we were talking about this the other day. Um, So if you think of that, right, we're investing in innovators who tend to take those dollars and take about half of them, put them back into the incumbents. It's a bit ironic. Now we're not Naive is to say that that number is going to change anytime soon because Facebook and Google is how you reach those top-of-the-funnel customers. But if we can invest in the founders who take a shrewd and clever approach to leveraging those channels and pull those levers in just the right way where they can bring those customers back to their own channels, then you start to see
0: that viral growth take off. That's awesome. I love that. And it sounds like it's such a great strategy... Yeah, overall, when you're thinking about, you know, just finding the right company and knowing exactly sort of how you want that money to grow and how you want that to that company to scale. And I know, ne- yeah, I never thought about sort of how it feeds back into the larger tech ecosystem. It's very interesting. That's wild to think about that metric. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so what is your advice then for, you know, women currently looking to VC firms for investment, right? Like how can they best position themselves for success?
1: Women looking to VC firms for investment. The first thing I would say is, are you sure? Um, (laughs) Great on that. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share two tidbits in this in this area. The first is, you know, make sure that venture financing is really for you. And and how you know venture financing is really for you is when there's an opportunity you want to take advantage of, and the only thing that will get you from point A to point B is capital. Um, You've pulled all the other levers you could. You see a clear path for potential growth, but you just need that cash in order order to achieve that growth. The icing on the cake, of course, is that investors, especially professional investors like VCs, are effectively an extension of your team. And that additional support does make a dent. Um, It's very easy, though, to get thrown off course and think that raising outside capital is a necessity for your business in order to be viable. Usually, when you Google a company, the first thing you see is a TechCrunch article announcing a fundraise. And it can almost feel like raising outside financing is a benchmark of success in some way. But in reality, a very small margin of companies actually fit that J-curve growth profile that a venture-backed business needs. And in fact, some of the happiest founders I know are the ones who have been able to exit. So, meaning, say, reach a liquidity event in which they are acquired by another company or go public. So some of the happiest I know are the ones who have been able to exit without having to take in much capital, without having to give up so much of their equity because they grew in the pattern that made sense for their respective businesses. The other thing I will say as advice for women running businesses who are seeking outside funding is I'll just share approach that an investor will take at the early stage. So the rule of thumb is that early stage investors look at three main things. And everything ties back to these three things. It's the management, the market, and the solution. So the management, is this the team to build this business? The market opportunity, is this market actually big? Is is somebody actually willing to pay for a solution to this problem? And and the solution being, is it uniquely positioned to address this market? And the earlier the stage of the company, the more important that first point is around team, because that's really the only given, because the rest of the company can, can evolve and pivot within the early stages quite significantly. So it all ties back to how you tell your story in the early mm-hmm. stage. So my advice would be, think of those th- three main things and tell your story accordingly in order to fully emphasize why you as a founder are the only person in the world who can build this business and make it a success. And whether that's because of your background experience, your competitive edge and your know-how, your pure brute force, grit and drive and passion in this particular area, all of those things tie back to how you tell the story and frame the pitch when you go out to to present that deck.
0: So when you're thinking about that, like, are you looking more for like the story of the person and how they fit into what are they, what they're building? Or do you ever just think, okay, maybe this person isn't the right person, but that idea and just the story behind that idea is totally worth investing in or is it both?
1: You definitely want all of the above (laughs) and you try and solve for as many risk areas as possible. The goal is to really identify a couple of risks and unknowns that you foresee and know and trust that you can work with the team throughout their growth in order to solve for those over time. There are certain risks that can't be mitigated in an early stage. Sometimes those are structural and regulatory and sometimes they're willing to take the chance. But team is not one of those risks that you can bookmark and say, we'll figure this out later team and market opportunity are, are definitely the ones that they need to be 100% on as an early stage
0: investor. That makes sense. And and I I think I really liked what you were saying at the beginning about how, you know, a lot of times people just think okay, the first step is to ask for money, but it sounds like you're saying to really take that time and make sure do you need money, where's your market fit, what are you trying to accomplish, and when is the right stage that you absolutely need funding in order to move forward like you said. So Absolutely. And the thing to keep in mind there is that
1: raising money is expensive. Every dollar you take in is equity you're giving up that has, exp- in theory, has exponential value in the future. So fundraising, it's easier said than done when you're not actually fundraising, but <laughs> fundraising is a two-week <laughs> right? And you want to make sure that every partner you bring in onto your cap table, every investor, is earning their keep and is worth that line on your cap table of equity that you're giving up because that equity in the long run is hopefully going to be very expensive.
0: Right. So you mentioned a little bit about, you know, some of the regulations and stuff, and I'll be upfront about this. I don't know too much about ESG, environmental social government governance, but I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about it and, and sort of how it's impacting investing in in a, a diverse portfolio. Well, I will say I'll speak
1: at a high level um, because it definitely varies across definitely across asset classes and, and across a variety of mechanisms. But what I'll say is that we're seeing mission and output increasingly intertwined. Meaning to say, I think that both VCs, venture capitalists, and their investors or limited partners are integrating impact into their investment strategies with the motivation to generate greater output and greater returns. Um, for instance amplifier ventures. We don't identify as an impact fund. We don't identify um, purely on the ESG sort of parameters, but in being a profit-seeking firm that is operating like a traditional venture capital fund, we're ultimately providing an impact. Right? We do have a double bottom line result. More and more investors are seeing that impact drives output. So it's being increasingly integrated into investment strategies. It, ESG is not this separate bucket anymore. and and that's a very interesting evolution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting. I mean, you know, at a different level, when you think about the fact that boards are now having all of these different requirements, especially around diversity, I think it's awesome that, you know, amplifiers doing that right from the beginning, right? Amplifier saying, let's create a team, a diverse team right off the bat. That's where we're going to put our money in. And at that point, you know, creating a diverse board almost seems like it will flow naturally. What are your thoughts on all of that and these, these new requirements?
1: That's a really great point. I think we were very excited when Goldman Sachs came out with their protocol for not taking any company public unless there was a certain level of diversity on the board and and the other updates that have since followed and the reason why we we're excited is because we just we we know that when that diversity is integrated into a leadership team it does yield stronger returns so it's interesting to see it from the exit perspective right that's the exit for the companies in which we're investing when they're going public Granted, it's five to seven years out from when we invest, but seeing this diversity and inclusion alignment come full circle in the cycle of a startup has big implications for the, the industry as a whole.
0: Absolutely. Hopefully, it's it's the right momentum to continue driving things forward. As I say that, that it sort of leads me to my next question, which is uh, uh, almost the opposite. But you know, I'm curious to hear what the impact of COVID has been in your eyes on on what's happening for female led startups. And actually in in the last episode I just came out with um with Jennifer De De Silva, she was talking about the she session and all the women that have left the workplace. So, you know, where does that leave us, right? Are we further behind when it comes to investing in women or yeah. Yeah,
1: How much time do you have? Um (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah I do um enjoy that recent conversation that you had your your last session and It's true, 55% of the 20 plus million jobs lost in April, last April, were held by women. And, you know, we're start, we we also saw a similar reflection in the venture capital financing side of things too. So venture funding for female founded or led startups in the US was down 30% in the first three quarters of 2020 compared to the year before. And what's interesting about that stat is that that's double the drop for firms founded or led exclusively by men. So there is that disparity there that um, does need solving. Fortunately, we are starting to see a rebound of both women in the workforce and women venture financing. And there are other positives too. We're seeing new opportunities across the board in the VC landscape. So we're seeing categories that are better capitalized than they've been For example, historically, many generalist VC's would shy away from B two B health companies or education technologies. Uh, But given the shifting dynamics of those industries right now, fresh perspectives have been welcomed and well funded there. Mm -hmm. And also in a in an area where there are more women founders and direct to consumer brands, um, I also think that many investors were pleasantly surprised to see how their D two C brands fared over the past eighteen months. Founders have been pushed to be even more creative with everything from marketing to supply chain. And as a result, we're seeing performance of those companies have have strength that that's demonstrated momentum. And for instance, we invested in a company called Avet, which is a better for you cocktail mixer. You know, you can't Amazing. get more social. Yeah. You can't get more social than this product, right? It's, it's literally about imbibing with friends and yet they had to launch their whole business in a time of social distancing. So rather than pursue the typical in-person launch tactics that many other beverage companies do in year one, that mm-hmm. took to clever branding, messaging, content marketing, community building tactics to ultimately ultimately cap off the summer by outselling their expectations. But it took a lot of creativity in order to get there. And we're seeing founders that, that win through all this are those who can be particularly clever in their go-to-market tactics and supply chain operations.
0: Yeah. I realized I just
1: answered another question in addition to your question, meaning to say I rambled, but... <laughs>
0: no, not at all. I thought that was great. I do want to jump topics a little bit just in the interest of, of time and talk a little bit about you. Like, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what your day-to-day looks like and, and what you love about you know your role at, at such a wonderful company? Absolutely. Um, my
1: day-to-day is a mixture of a few things. So and no day is the same. I'm sure everybody says that. I'll bucket into three different areas. There's meeting with founders and hearing from some of the most brilliant people present their opportunities to start businesses that will hopefully change at least an industry, if not the world. (laughs) And (laughs) obviously some more than others. And then there's the operations of the business. So building a VC fund that um, my business partner and I are continue to be so excited about the opportunities from here on out and ensuring that all of our operations are scalable beyond the two of us. I mean, the two of us can only be in two physical places at once. So we have... Um, A wonderful scout program, our investor fellows program is what we call it, where we have 10 MBAs who we've selected from across the country, Um, being our eyes and ears on the ground. We have an incredible network of advisors that we've built, and less glamorous stuff than that in the day to day operations. And then the third piece is perhaps one of my favorite parts, which is managing the portfolio. And what that means is being a resource at the drop of a hat to any one of our almost 40 portfolio companies for everything from a quick brainstorm session to a an intro to somebody hiring strategy where we really like to focus is on marketing and sales so rolling up our sleeves and reaching out to that reporter or writing a press release so any day can be filled with meeting with founders the operations of the firm and or the portfolio management side. And I will say, to answer your question, another way of what the thing I enjoy the most is, is for the first piece, meeting with founders, You know, as a VC, your real day-to-day job is to ask questions and synthesize those answers as, as data points that ultimately help you make an investment decision. And by the way, when I say meeting with founders, that also involves the whole diligence process. So reaching out to people in our personal professional network, interviewing them about a given company, market research, mm-hmm. et cetera. And all of that is asking questions. And that is my absolute favorite part of the role, the function, the day-to-day.
0: I love asking questions if you couldn't tell as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I am going to say I'm so envious of you and your role because that is really what you do. <laughs> and really great questions. So.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And sounds like it's always interesting and exciting. And, and I like that there's different, different sort of sides of it. What would be some career advice that you would give either to your younger self or to someone who's entering the workforce right now? Any advice you think might, you know, help them succeed and grow? Collect and collect mentors. I actually never use the word mentor
1: when, I don't know, Something about it sounds super cheesy to me, but <laughs> you, you get what I mean. Like, collect Oh, I a, love that. I love it. Yeah. Like, like collect a network of people you look up to peers, even people who ultimately work for you and, and make them people who are your, your backboard for thoughts, decision making, strategizing everything across your career. And all of those relationships should always be mutually beneficial too. So after any conversation with any of those mentors, rather than say, How can I help you? Listen to them, figure out how you can help them, and then just do it. <laughs> I think that's amazing advice. That's awesome. One person in particular who we should probably give a shout out to is our mutual go to, John Alexander, who is yes. a highly esteemed entrepreneur and has been wonderfully helpful to me in my career. And somebody like that, I know I can always call at the drop of a hat to ask him
0: anything about building a business, about fundraising, etc. So, so true. He is honestly the best. And I'm so grateful he not only has introduced us, but is always thinking about ways to connect people and mentor people, kind of like what you were just talking about. So shout out, John Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> um, to finish this off, I would love to hear what you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments.
1: One of my greatest accomplishments... It hasn't happened yet. Um, (laughs)
0: That's why I said one (laughs) of.
1: Yeah, one of. Okay, so you know, the fund has made nearly forty investments. They've those investments have propelled more than three hundred and fifty women into leadership roles, fueled four hundred and fifty million dollars in women led enterprise value in just a few years since we launched. But candidly, um, my toddler slept through the night last night, and I feel like that deserves a medal.
0: So that That's my accomplishment. <laughs> I love that. That is amazing, and congrats. I hope that continues.
1: You and me both. A
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Keep it up. It's awesome. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms.